Well, here we are, week four. Can you believe it's already week four? Man, I was looking at this, preparing for it this week, and I thought, week four, how did that happen? Where did weeks one through three go? And here's the thing, you know, I was thinking about this as, as I was prepping for tonight and, and looking ahead to weeks five and six, which there will actually be six, little spoiler there. We will have six weeks, if you didn't know. What we've done up to this point will now build together into the final one in week six. So we have built some uh, building blocks, if you will, up through week three that we're now going to build upon into week six. And week six, we'll put everything together in one big bow, if you will. But I want to go over these first three weeks again, not too in-depth, but I want to touch on them so you get an idea of this foundation. Of course, our key text that we are working through is Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. And Paul says in that text that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, that we are to be strong in the Lord and put on the armor of God because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realms. It is a spiritual battle. And that's where we began in week number one with the fact that everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. We have to start with that foundation because if we don't understand that everything's spiritual, then we're going to miss the majority of what we're talking about because it's all spiritual. And everything goes from spiritual to natural. You have the root in the spiritual that produces the fruit in the natural. And if you only focus on the natural, you're only going to get rid of the fruit. But if you don't get rid of the root, guess what's coming back? More fruit. And that's why we tend to live our lives in cycles. Because we only focus on getting rid of the bad fruit, but we never change that root. So we have to understand that everything is spiritual. And that's where we started in week one. And we too, we talked about forging that armor. You know, of course, this whole thing is armor for the battle. It's the, it's the context of the spiritual armor, God's armor. And the aspect of forging the armor, how do we forge that armor? You know, we use that illustration of, in, in Paul's day, he used the Roman, armors, or Roman soldier's armor as an illustration for the armor of God. Well, a lot of times, those soldiers had to forge their own armor armor. They would literally go in and hammer it out, but it would be custom made just for them. And in the spiritual side of things, we have to forge our own armor. We cannot rely on somebody else's armor. Just like David, when he went to fight Goliath, Saul tried to put his armor on David and it didn't work. And David immediately knew not only would it not help him, it would actually hinder him. And it's the same thing for us. If we're trying to use somebody else's armor to fight our battles, it's not only not going to help, it's going to hinder because it's not made for us and we haven't forged it ourselves. So part of forging that armor is developing our relationship with the Lord. It's getting in the Word and allowing the Word to transform us. We're going to go a little bit more into that and, and take the next step in that transforming power of the Word. Then last week, we talked about the law and the aspect of how the law is the power of sin. See, a lot of times in the Christian world, 
We throw law around all the time in rules and regulations. And, you know, we use those three things to indicate whether or not you have law working in your, in your life. And actually all of us, to one degree or another, have law working in our lives because we're, we're wired that way. We like rules and regulations. And before we came to Jesus, that's what there was. The Old Testament was all about the law. Now, is the law bad? No, not at all. The law had a very specific purpose, but that purpose was to bring us to Jesus. And once that purpose is fulfilled in our life, we don't need the law anymore. In fact, the law will do more harm than good. So we've been freed from the law, and we have to be free from the law in order to serve Jesus. You can't do both. And that's what we talked about last week, was the fact that the gospel not just gets us out of hell, it literally frees us from the law. And it has to do that in order to break the power of sin. And that's what we talked about last week. This week, I want to take a different perspective on sin. You know, we talked about the power of sin last week. This week, I want to look at sin from the perspective of how we walk out of the sin that we're in. Because we have to understand there's a difference, so to speak, between what we do and sin. Have you ever thought of what is sin? You know, a lot of times in the Christian life, we, we have these terms or we have these doctrines, and we throw them around, and we assume we understand what they are, but we've never actually sat down and thought, what is this? So, for example, what is sin? Is it what we do, the wrong thing? Is it the temptation? Is it the desire to do the wrong thing? What is sin itself? Now, again, we could go all into all kinds of theology on sin. Sin is one of the core basic doctrines of the Christian faith. If you go to a systematic theology book, you'll notice in there is a whole section on sin. And you can go into a deep theology of it. I don't want to do that tonight. I'm not trying to get technical or picky about sin. But what I do want to do is point out a few important aspects of sin that make all the difference in the world how we deal with it. Now, in in order to discern what sin is, we must first realize that sin is first a spiritual sickness that has affected everybody. I'm going to go back to one of the illustrations that I used a couple weeks ago because it's really important to understand that sin is first a spiritual issue because everything's spiritual. So it's not just a matter of, well, I did the wrong thing. So again, our three parts... Body, soul, and the soul, of course, is made up of the mind, will, and emotions. And the, the illustration of the, of the body soul is, if I want to operate in space, I have to have a spacesuit. But the spacesuit is not me. I'm on the inside. The spacesuit will do exactly what I tell it to do when I move. But if I step out of the spacesuit, it drops dead, if you will because the only thing that was making it alive was me. Same thing, if I want to operate in the physical realm, I have to have a physical body. But this is not me, I'm on the inside. 
I'm making my body do what I tell it to do. If the Lord removes me from my body, that's what we call death, because the body cannot live without a soul. So that's where we get the body, the soul, the mind, will, and emotions. And then in the core, everybody is born with that spiritually genetic disease that the Bible calls sin. Everybody has it. We cannot escape it. If you're born on earth, you're born infected with sin. Now, sometimes it's called original sin. Whatever terminology you want to use, we are all born with it, and it affects the soul. It affects the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we act, which leads to those sinful actions. If you want to list the sinful actions, go to Galatians chapter 5, the works of the flesh. Paul says in there, all these different things he calls the works of the flesh, and he ends that section by saying, and the like. In other words, there's so many of them, I'm not going to be able to list them all here. And we all know what those are. It's easy to identify those sinful actions. Now, that's what, what we look like before we come to Jesus in the gospel. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, what the gospel does. Again, we still have the body, the soul, and the spirit. But the difference is, in the gospel, is that great exchange where Jesus takes that sin core out and replaces it with truth. And part of that truth is his righteousness. So we have a righteous core. Our spirit is brought alive for the very first time. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. But our soul is still infected with sin. And it's that infection that still leads to sinful actions. This is why a Christian can still sin, because the infection is still there. But the truth is in us. Now, here's what I want to get to tonight as far as sin goes. The majority of Christians, when they think of sin, think of this. When I was dealing with pornography, pornography is sin. I mean, that's pretty straight up. But when I thought of sin, I thought of what I was doing, what the action was, what it was that it led to. And what happened because of that, I focused on this. I thought, man, if I can just get rid of this, I'll be so much better. My life will be so much better if I can just get rid of the porn, or if I can get rid of the alcohol, or if I can get rid of the anger, or if I can get rid of the bitterness, or if I can get rid of whatever, X, fill in for X. Whatever that is. So what I would do was focus on trying to get rid of the thing I was doing. And through willpower or maybe, you know, I just relied on the law. You know, I'm just not supposed to do it, so I'm not going to do it. And when I don't do it, it makes me feel good because I'm not supposed to do it. It's not because I know... I love God and I don't want to do it because I love him so much. I'm not doing it because I'm not supposed to do it. It's the law. So I would use all kinds of things to stop what I was doing. Here's the problem with that. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says this. He says, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't do it. I know what I'm not supposed to do, but that I keep doing. But he goes on to say, It is no longer I who do it, 
but sin that lives within me. So here we have a very important distinction in Romans 7, where Paul separates the symptom from the source. You ever been sick? Okay. Did you have symptoms? Absolutely. You know, if, if you had pneumonia, one of the symptoms of pneumonia is a cough. Now, you go to the doctor, and you say, man, I got this cough, and I just want to get rid of it. Now, what if you went to that doctor, and all he said, okay, well, you know, here's some cough medicine. Take this. You'll get rid of the cough. Okay, great. You go home, you start taking the cough medicine, but if the cause of that is pneumonia, cough medicine isn't going to get rid of the pneumonia. And the pneumonia is going to keep growing, and it's going to cause more symptoms. So you don't get rid of the cause. All you did was get rid of one of the symptoms. What would you do if you kept going back to that doctor and said, well, you know, I I was coughing, and okay, that got a little bit better, but now, you know, I'm having a hard time breathing. And, And he says, well, here's an inhaler. And he keeps focusing on the symptoms, but he never gets to the cause. How long would you go to the doctor? At some point, you're going to go, mm, I need to go find a second opinion because this dude ain't working. Because you want a doctor who's going to go after the cause. And here's the thing. 99% of Christians, myself included, for many, many years, focused on the symptom. All I wanted to do was get rid of this. And for a while, that would go away. I would get rid of the porn for a while, for however long, weeks, months, year, whatever. But I never focused on the cause. Only the symptom. The sickness itself stayed right where it was. And guess what? It would manifest in something else, or eventually the porn would come back, or something else would happen, and this, and that, and this. And I spent my life chasing symptoms and just living my life in this huge cycle, and I just couldn't get out of it, and I didn't understand why. Like, why in the world is my life not changing? Somebody lied to me about this whole Christian thing, because nothing's different. All this stuff is just hanging around. Why is it not going away? Why can't I get rid of this stupid symptom? When I was a police officer, I went through a course called Mental Health Peace Officer. It was designed to teach me how to deal with people who were suffering from uh, mental health issues but were involved in criminal activity. Because you couldn't approach somebody who was just a criminal the same way you would approach somebody who was dealing with a mental issue. So we went through this course, and part of the course, they talked about people who were schizophrenic. And I I came out of that course with an understanding of what I call the schizophrenic cycle. And every Christian that I've ever met has been through this cycle. Here's what the schizophrenic cycle is. A person who suffers from schizophrenia, it can take years for the doctors to get the right combination of medicines for that specific person to work to where they can live a normal life. And finally, they get on these right combinations of medicine, and finally, they start thinking normally and acting normally. And, you know, they're able to get an apartment or a house and a job, and everything appears to be normal. 
And over time, what happens, the person says, wow, I'm normal. I don't need these meds anymore. So they stop taking their meds. And when they stop taking their meds, you know, the next day they aren't, they aren't right back where they started. But over time, there's this gradual decline. And they, it's so slow, they don't even notice it until eventually they're right back where they started. They're like, how did I get here again? Did you stop taking your meds? Well, yeah, but I was healed. I was fixed. I was normal. Well, here's what happens in the Christian life if we only focus on symptoms. I can get to a point where my symptoms are limited or in check for a season. And then, you know, maybe, yeah, you know, I went to church or maybe I went to celebrate recovery for a while or, you know, I was reading my Bible for a little bit, but now I'm normal. I can go live my life. I can go do the things I want to do. So I realize, you know, symptoms are gone. I have no clue or understanding about the sickness. And then all of a sudden, my life starts to slow, gradual decline, and I'm right back where I started. I'm like, how the heck did I get here again? Well, I'm going to get back in church, and I'm going back to CR, and, or maybe I'm going back to that Bible study. Okay, things are good, better. Okay, now, whoop, oh, now, and it's like a roller coaster. That's the schizophrenic cycle. And we've all been on it to one degree or another. The reason is we're focusing on symptoms instead of the source. Because if the doctor gives me antibiotics to get rid of the pneumonia, guess what's going away with it? The cough and all the other symptoms. So if we can get to the point where the truth starts infecting our soul like the sin did and removes or reduces the sickness, guess what goes with it? All the symptoms go away. And that's not a temporary going away. It's a permanent going away. Anybody want to get rid of their symptoms permanently? Yeah. I can tell you right now, last month, October 16th, for me was six years free from pornography. But here's the thing. Those six years, I... I don't even think about it anymore. I really don't. Because the sickness has been healed, not just the symptom. Back when I was in a dry season, if you will, it was constantly on my mind. I thought, no, no, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. I don't. It's not even on my mind anymore. I don't even think about it. Because the sickness that was causing it has been healed. That is where every single Christian can be that's in this room tonight. You can get to the point where the sickness in you has been healed to the point where your symptoms are gone, that they are no longer a problem. But it's imperative that we understand that there is a difference between symptoms and sickness. And that's the point I want to make about sin tonight, is that there is that difference. Because if we don't understand that difference, we're only going to focus on the symptoms. Now, let me show you another way that we only focus on symptoms. And we talk about reading the Bible. And that's something that we're supposed to do as Christians. Well, you know, okay, so we go read the Bible. Well, here's what happens a lot of times, is 
When we read the Bible, we read it either for information, well, I'm looking for doctrine or theology. Nothing wrong with that. Doctrine and theology are good. But information does not have the power to transform you. Only Jesus has the power to transform you. So you can have all the information you want, but still not be transformed. And I'm a living example of that. I spent two and a half years in seminary and was addicted to pornography. And the information, doctrine, theology, all that stuff did me no good. I learned a lot, and I still use it today. But it's like, it's like saying that if you have a hammer, you're a carpenter. That, that doesn't compute. Just because you have theology doesn't mean you've been transformed. So don't let the enemy deceive you into thinking that information transforms. It doesn't. There's nothing wrong with information. Doctrine and theology are important, and they have a place. But right now, for most of us, they're out of place. So what we tend to do is either go for information, and, and if we do that, we'll go in and we'll you know, kind of skim through or read a couple of verses. We'll look for something, or we try and get something out of it, for our day. We need some sort of information that I can go use. I need a hammer because I'm fighting alcoholism. Give me a hammer. I need to go beat this alcoholism down or something. That's where I'm going to read the Bible. Here's the other thing we tend to do. We use devotionals. Nothing wrong with a devotional, but it's so unfortunate that they're called devotionals because they should be called informationals. Because the majority of devotionals are a little bit of word and a whole bunch of information. Nothing wrong with the devotional. I'm not against devotionals at all. And devotionals can be very, very helpful. But a devotional should be a supplement, not a substitute. It'd be like me going down to GNC and saying, hey, can I get a case of vitamin supplements? Because I'm going to quit eating. I'm just going to take these. They're going to look at me like, I, like I'm an idiot. It's not going to work. You're going to die. They're called supplements for a reason, Amen. not substitutes. Amen. And it's the same thing with devotionals. Devotionals are great supplements to the word. They're terrible substitutes. If all you use is a devotional, you are spiritually malnourished. You are. It gives you great information, but it will not give you transformation. And then the other is, we'll say, TV and radio. You know, I listen to pastors on the radio or I watch TV, Christian TV and all that. Nothing wrong with that. Those things are great. But guess what you're getting? Information. They're great. Those things are good. I'm not saying stop, but what I am saying is don't think that these can transform you because they can't. Only Jesus can transform you. Jesus said to the Pharisees one day, he said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have life, but these are that that speak of me, but you won't come to me. And he's talking to Pharisees who were the theologians of the day. They knew the scriptures he even told you, you search the scriptures for in them. You think you have life. 
The purpose of the Bible is not to inform us, it's to transform us. And we have to realize how to experience that transforming power because we've gotten so caught up in this that we're missing the transformation. And that's what makes the difference. When, you know, and I've used this illustration before. When people come up to me either on Sunday or Wednesday or, or the guys I sit down with in my one-on-one devotion, or, uh, discipleship, and they say, man, I'm struggling with this. My first question is, how much time are you spending in the Word? And the number one answer is, well, not much. Okay, why? And then I get this. Well, you know, I went looking for information and I couldn't find anything. Okay, well, what if it's not supposed to be for information? And that's where the switch occurs. And this is where I hope the switch is occurring in you tonight, is to realize this has a place, but it won't do what you want it to do. It won't do what you're hoping for it to do. And the thing that it's got to do in us first is transform us. And that's why I call this the prescription for life. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the power of the word and how the word transforms us. Okay, now we're going to bring that back in, in the context of this. Now that we understand that the symptom is not the problem, and God, I'm telling you right now, God is not interested in healing your symptom. He wants to heal your sickness. And far too often, we allow the enemy to condemn us over our symptom. And, And... Here's the thing about symptoms. Symptoms are designed to show you that you're sick. When you go to the doctor and he takes an x-ray and you have pneumonia and it shows up on the x-ray as whatever it shows up, the doctor doesn't come to, go, come to you and show you the x-ray and go, you're a loser, look at this. What's wrong with you? He didn't do that. He says, you got something wrong, you're sick, let me help you. The enemy comes to you and goes, you're dealing with porn? What a loser. What's wrong with you, man? Go fix yourself. And guess what? That's what we try and do. We try and go fix ourselves. And the other aspect of of symptoms is a lot, a lot of times we ask the wrong question when it comes to symptoms. And we end up comparing symptoms. Because we're so focused on symptoms, we end up comparing symptoms. It's like if I had five people down here that all had pneumonia, and one was coughing, the other had pain in their chest, the third one was coughing up phlegm, the fourth one was coughing up blood, and the fifth one just couldn't breathe. Now we go up and say, okay, you know, let's see... Uh, you're, you're coughing, okay, yeah, that's okay, you know, cough's no big deal, phlegm, mm, blood, eh, okay, but uh, this guy, he's got pain in his chest, uh, this guy can't breathe, you're an idiot, you are a moron, all these others, you know, we can work with them, this guy can't breathe, sorry, once you start breathing, then come to us, and we'll help, that's what we do in the church, that's what we do when we look at people based on their symptoms, 
When I say we ask the wrong question, one of the questions today that is vexing so many Christians in the context of homosexuality is, are they born that way? Folks, that's the wrong question. That is the wrong question. Here's why. What we're saying is, is somebody who is dealing with the symptom of homosexuality, are they born with a proclivity to that type of symptom? Who cares? The purpose of the symptom is to show that there's a sickness. So let me settle the question. Are we born that way? Yeah, we're all born that way. We're all born with sin sickness. It doesn't matter what the symptom is. What matters is the presence of sin sickness. And we're all born that way. So to sit here and condemn somebody because of a symptom is crazy. The purpose of the symptom is to identify the sickness. So when we go to somebody and say, okay, yeah, is homosexuality sin? Sure it is. But it's caused by the sin within you that we all have. I've got it. You've got it. We all have it. And there's only one way out of it, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Are you born that way? Yeah, so am I. So am I. And the only way we get out of it is Jesus. But one of the reasons we're focusing on symptoms out there is because we're focusing on symptoms in here. And we're comparing symptoms with each other. Well, you know that guy over there? He's, you know, he's kind of dealing with porn. That guy, alcohol? Hey, he's, no, he can go to celebrate recovery. No, he's good, man. Porn. Don't talk to him. Come on. If you go to the emergency room and the intake nurse looks at you and goes, you've got a broken leg, sorry, we don't help people with broken legs. That'd be crazy. That's crazy. We have to understand that the key aspect of a symptom is the sickness. And we've all got it. Even as Christians, we still have sickness. And the only thing that can heal that is the power of the Word of God. That's the prescription we need. The prescription for life. Number one, Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is living and active. It's spiritually alive. If I have pneumonia, I go to the doctor. He gives me a prescription for antibiotics. I take those pills. Those pills are chemically alive, so to speak. I implant them in my body and they begin to do in me what I cannot do in myself. The Word of God is spiritually alive. The the pneumonia is a physical sickness. Sin is a spiritual sickness. I can't take a pill to get rid of sin. If there was, I'd be selling it right now. And I'd be a millionaire. But there isn't. But there is the Word of God that is spiritually alive. And James tells us in James 1.21 that the Word of God has the power to save your soul. Right there. There it is. There's your answer. You need healing in your soul. You got to get the Word in you. Because as the Word gets in you, it releases that truth that's already in your spirit 
And it begins to heal the sickness from the inside out. And it does in you what you cannot do in yourself. I don't care how much willpower you have. I don't care how many rules you follow. In in the book of Colossians chapter 2, Paul specifically addresses rules and regulations in regarding to the attempt to control the lusts of the flesh. He says this in Colossians 2, 20 through 23. Therefore, if you have died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things that perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body. But they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. There it is, right in the word. (laughs) Rules and regulations cannot stop a symptom. And they cannot heal the sickness. Only the word of God can do that. Only the word of God can do that. So here's the thing about the word and your sin sickness that we all have. Look, it, it's not just a pandemic. It's 100%. <laughs> There's no escaping it. Amen. And the thing about sin sickness is it's terminal. It's terminal. So this prescription for life that I'm talking about, it's a prescription that not only brings life, it's a prescription you need to be on for the rest of your life. Because if you begin to take this prescription and you still fall into that schizophrenic cycle and all of a sudden that sin sickness starts to shrink, it's like chemo, you take chemo, it shrinks the cancer. But if you stop the chemo, what happens? The cancer starts to grow again. Same thing with this. This is like spiritual chemotherapy. If you start taking, taking it, that sin sickness in you shrinks and the symptoms are eliminated. But if you stop it, that sin sickness starts to grow again. And eventually, the symptoms are coming back. You have to be on this for the rest of your life. You cannot stop and it's not about information. You know, I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday who hadn't seen this illustration before. And they said, you know, I, I read, but man, I just don't get anything out of it. I said, okay, what are you looking for? And then we went through that whole thing, information and all this. I said, all right, the Word of God is not there to inform you. It's there to transform you. Here's what happens when you read the Word of God. When you read the Word of God, it goes straight to your spirit. And the first thing it does is feed your spirit. It's not designed to feed your mind at first. And here's one of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to say, oh, you didn't get anything out of that. Do you remember what you read? You read it five minutes ago. What a loser, man. You don't even know what book you were in. You sure you're reading the Bible? And he convinces us that we're not good enough to read. So what do we do? We stop. And you know why he does that? Because he understands the power of the word of God to transform our lives. And he does everything he can to keep us away from it. And unfortunately, we're believing it. 
and we don't read it. Because we think it has to go here first, and it doesn't. It doesn't. You are feeding your spirit first. You have to feed your spirit. It's like feeding your body. What did you have for breakfast last week? I don't know. Did it benefit your body? Absolutely. You're still here. I didn't go to GNC. I actually ate, so I'm still here. I don't remember everything I ate. Did it benefit me? You bet it did. You bet it did. What did I read last week? I don't know, but I know it benefited my spirit. Because I know this week my symptoms are still gone. We have to feed the spirit first. And here's what happens. As you feed that spirit, it begins to release that truth into your soul and begins to heal that sickness and it clears up the way you think. And then as you continue to read the word of God, you're like, whoa, whoa, where'd that come from? And you receive the pure information of the word the way it was meant to be received. Because if you add information to a mind that's sick with sin sickness, it's going to distort that information. And how many people do you know are running around with distorted theology? They're everywhere. They are everywhere. But if your mind is being transformed and you continue to just read the word and trust, because Paul says the spiritual things cannot be understood by a natural man. And to one degree or another, we are all natural men. We all have a body and a soul. Even though our spirit is alive, the only way we can intellectually understand spiritual things as if it's revealed to us. And as God heals our mind from that sin sickness, it sets our minds up to receive that revelation. So if you're not receiving a whole bunch of revelation, keep reading. Keep reading. It's healing. And as it's healing, it's going to begin receiving. And one day you're going to go to that Bible and go, whoa, where did this come from? I've never seen that before. And you're going to get excited. And it's going to be good. So you got to keep feeding this. And the thing about this prescription is, as I say, it's for life. But what I recommend is people get on a one-year reading plan. Here's why. It does three things for you. Number one, it gives you structure. Most people who read the Bible don't know where to begin and they have no clue where to end. So they'll open it up and, you know, they'll do the finger point thing. Okay, Leviticus. Hmm, oh, let's come back tomorrow. (laughs) And they bounce around and they they don't have the structure. The Bible is a very daunting book. You need some structure. And a one-year plan brings structure to the table. It tells you what to read and when to read it. Really simple. Really simple. So it gives you structure. Number two, it provides you with what I call a baseline. If you have a prescription from a doctor, on that label it says take one pill a day every day for six weeks. Believe it or not, that is a baseline. You know if I don't take one pill a day every day for six weeks, it's not going to work. So if I go back to the doctor and I say, you know, you gave me this this medicine and, and I'm still coughing... 
He's going to ask me, well, are you taking it? Well, no. Get out of here. Go take your meds and then come back and talk to me. And this is what I tell my guys is, look, and and I'll tell everybody here, the only way you can be transformed is by getting in the Word. I cannot transform you. Pastor Jeff cannot transform you. I don't have that power. So if you want to learn and grow in your walk with the Lord, if you're not willing to take your meds, there's nothing I can do for you. I can give you information, but that's not going to do any good. The only information I can give you is get on your meds. Because once you're doing this, and God begins to heal things, and other things start occurring, then I can sort of guide you through that process, because I've been down that path before. And that's all I do. That's all discipleship is, is me guiding people down the path of healing. That's all it is, and we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But a one-year plan provides a baseline. I know that if I'm not reading exactly what the one-year plan is supposed to be, what I'm supposed to be reading in that one-year plan every day, and I don't do it consistently over time, I'm not talking about, oh, I missed a day. Oh, well, I'm toast. No. If I miss two, three, four days, four weeks, four months, I know I'm in trouble. So it gives me a baseline now, which is something we all need. We need some sort of reference Where am I? Okay, now I've got a baseline. And then finally, number three, it gets me through the Word of God every year. Not only do most Christians not read the Word, they never read the entire Bible at any time in their life. So now, you read it every single year. This, I personally, will be on a one-year plan for the rest of my life. For the rest of my life. In addition to all the other reading I do for whatever purpose... This is mine, and y'all can't have it. (laughs) This is mine. I need this. I don't just study to give. I read to receive. And we all have to do that. If you're a teacher, you can't just read to give because all you're doing is scooping it up and handing it off. You're never receiving it yourself. And you need, me personally as a pastor, I need it even more Because people are looking at me going, "Mm, what do I do? Uh, Well, if I'm not being transformed, how can I help you? There's no way. So you have to be in the Word every single day. Let me touch on one last verse, and then we're going to look at the armor in the context of this. Romans 12.2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you know what is that good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Anybody want to know what God's will is? Okay. Here's how you know what God's will is. You have your mind transformed by the word of God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind is the healing from the sin sickness. Do not be conformed to this world. The world is stuck with sin sickness. But the Christian has a process of transformation through which the mind can be renewed and then you can understand what is that pleasing, perfect, and acceptable will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? Get in the Word. 
Get in the word and you will learn over time what God's will is. It's a guarantee. It's right in the word. So let's look at the armor really quick and then we'll close. So how does the armor help us to overcome sin? Number one, the belt of truth, which is our identity. Now, when we're dealing with these symptoms, which we all deal with to one degree or another, we have to realize we're no longer identified by our sin. As long as I allow this to be my identity, there's no way I'm going to get in the Word because I'm going to be afraid it's going to condemn me. I have to realize this is now my identity. And as long as this is here, it doesn't matter how much this how, much of, how many symptoms I've got or how much sickness I've got because it's still the truth. That's our firm foundation right there. My identity is in the gospel. It's not in my symptoms. So by putting on that truth and just holding on for dear life, I can go after my symptom by allowing God to heal the sickness. The, the breastplate of righteousness, our worth before God. Again, our worthiness is not diminished by our mistakes. Just because you have symptoms and you keep making mistakes doesn't mean God doesn't love you anymore or any less. His love for you is not measured by your sin. It's measured by his sacrifice. You cannot allow your mistakes to let the enemy deceive you into believing you are less in the eyes of God because it's not the truth at all. So you put on that breastplate of righteousness to say, you know what, it doesn't matter if I'm dealing with porn today because I'm worthy before the Father. I am worthy and I can stand. I can get in the word and I, no matter what symptom I'm dealing with, I will receive transformation. The shoes of the gospel of peace are firm foundation. We can be confident that the gospel has already compensated for all our mistakes, including the ones we haven't even made. We're not victims. We have already been made victors. Here's the thing about the Christian life and the gospel. The gospel is an inside-out transformation, not an outside-in. And when we look at Christianity as an outside-in prospect, we miss the whole thing. Inside has already been made whole and complete. The person you want to become out here is already in you. It's already there. He or she is there. You just got to allow the Word of God to release that. You can stand on that firm foundation. We do not walk by sight we walk by faith. Amen. The shield of faith, our authority, our authority is not our own. It's given to us through the gospel and it has nothing to do with us being perfect. It doesn't matter if I make a mistake. My authority as a Christian comes from here. This is the badge or the shield I've been given, not this. So when I put that shield on, it's a permanent shield. And I can stand firm holding that shield no matter how much the enemy tries to condemn me for this. 
The sword of the Spirit, there it is. That's what we're talking about, is the Word. And finally, a sound mind. The helmet of salvation gives us a sound mind. We've been given control over our minds. We, need, we just need to allow the Word to heal our mind and gain experience in taking control that we've been given over our thoughts. Because when we're dealing with sin sickness and our mind's still sick with sin sickness, our, our thoughts rage out of control. And those tapes just, I mean, they are blaring. But as we get in the Word, it begins to heal that. And we need the experience of taking control of our thought process and stopping it and saying, stop, it's not the truth. And the more we have experience doing that through this transforming power, the more we'll exercise it. And then the cycle changes to a positive rather than a negative. And that's how the, the armor helps us in there. It's all right there. It's all about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. Would you stand with me? We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but here's the key. You've got to be in the Word. And you have to understand that your symptom is not the problem. Amen. Don't allow the enemy to condemn you for your symptom and don't compare your symptom to somebody else's symptom. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm dealing with porn or somebody's dealing with alcohol or somebody's dealing with anger. It all indicates we're dealing with sin. That's the problem. It doesn't matter. So the goal is not to stop a symptom, it's to heal the sickness. And the only way to heal the sickness is the Word of God. That's it, right there. So when you walk out of here tonight, the goal is for you to realize you deal with sin sickness. It doesn't matter what your symptom is. And the only way to overcome that sin sickness is the Word of God. And it's the same thing with people out there. When you encounter somebody who, who doesn't know the Lord, this will still begin to work on them even if they don't know Jesus yet. Because the Word is Jesus, and Jesus is the Word. So if you get them in the Word before this transition takes place, guess what? It's going to break down the walls for them to get them to this point. So the answer is always Jesus and the Word, period. But it's not just for them. It's for us too. Let's pray.